Well, good morning once again. If you have slipped in between then and now, my name's Chris. I am the lead pastor here, and once again, we're just honored to be sharing uh, this message with you and our Sunday with you. We have been on a little bit of a journey in the last four weeks, wouldn't you say? And we, yeah, we've been in this series called Anxious for Nothing. Uh, and we've been studying a singular passage. We don't do this very often, but we're actually going to do it again in the next four weeks because i got something special for us. Uh, a singular passage from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. While I'm kind of setting this up, go ahead and turn there because we're going to stand in just a second and read that together as a church. Uh, Paul writes this from prison, a place where you can imagine that anxiety and stress and fear and worry levels are at an all-time high, and he writes some of the most amazing truths about how with God, but God, we can learn to kind of deal with the spiritual aspect of the anxiety that's in our lives. And so as we uh, kind of close out this series, let's stand one last time as a church, and let's read Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. If you have a Bible, Please open. If not, there's some over there, or you can read it up here. And here's what Paul writes from prison to the church in Philippi. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Everybody say, this is God's word, and I believe it. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, last week, we, we kind of went through this uh, exercise, not an exercise, but learning how to be able to rejoice Always. This is Paul's opening words in this passage. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. We talked about how to be able to do that and how to worship him and how to, uh, you know, just kind of praise him through all the storms and all the anxiety and all the worry and all the fear and all the doubt in our lives. Not because of what God does. We don't praise him because he's delivered us. We praise him before the deliverance. We praise God because of who he is. And I hope that spoke to you guys because it spoke to me in a big way. In fact, this whole series has kind of spoken to me in a big way. Uh, this week we're talking about decisions. Decisions. Now that's a little bit different take on anxiety. Uh, and, and the reason we're doing that is because Paul says the peace of God, which we cannot understand, will guard your hearts and your minds. And we've talked about the peace of God guarding our heart bringing us to this place of comfort and peace. But what about our brains? What about peace of mind? Anybody like to have a little bit more peace of mind in their lives? Decisions are hard. The, 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 the thing that causes me, and I kind of hinted at this in the first week of this series, the thing that causes me the most stress and the most worry, there's two things. One is making decisions about my family. And a very, very close second is making decisions about this church. Because when you're talking about a church of lots of people and growing all the time, by the way, if you're new with us, hi, uh, growing all the time, there is a weight that comes with the decisions that you make. It, am I following God's will? Am I, am I speaking 
and representing him the right way? Am I making decisions that are, that are allowing people and leading people to grow deeper and closer in their walk with Jesus Christ? Am, am I making the right decisions uh, to represent God in a way? Am I making the right decisions to reach our community? These are all uh, very, very big decisions, and they carry a lot of weight because they affect you guys, and I love you guys. I do, and I would not ever want to lead you down the wrong path. Very, very stressful to make those decisions. And I know that some of you guys today have come in here uh, with some heavy decisions on your brain, with some heavy stuff on your mind. You, You are feeling the weight of these decisions. Do I go here? Do I go here? I don't know what your decision is, but I I ask you today to kind of lay that out and let God speak to you. And and maybe, maybe those decisions are so heavy that you just can't find peace of mind anywhere you look. You have tried. You have asked for peace of mind, and still your mind is just racing, right? When I get into this place where I need to make decisions, my mind just rehearses all these scenarios, and and we start to feel overwhelmed. And then we kind of get into this place where I call analysis paralysis, right, where we're thinking about it so much that we can't do anything, and we're just uncertain. Oh, no, I thought I had this, but now I can't. I I, I don't think that's the right place. But if I go over here, then something bad's going to happen. And if I go over here, and if I go over here, or, or we just feel pressure, Right from somebody else, maybe it's external. Somebody saying you got to decide, you got to decide, you got to decide. And you know, and I'm not just talking about what am I going to eat at the restaurant off the menu because that's a hard enough decision on its own. But I'm talking about big stuff, and maybe not so big stuff, but big stuff to you. We get to that place of fear and anxiety and stress. Do you know that 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 research has shown? I found this interesting that. The, the thing that causes us the most stress and the most anxiety in our lives are the decisions we make. It's called decision anxiety. Because we are all terribly afraid of making an irreversibly bad decision. We all are. If I make this decision, is something catastrophic going to happen? So today I want to talk about this this kind of concept of decision anxiety and how through this passage, through God's word, we can maybe learn to lessen that a little bit. So, Father God, in this time we have with you, uh, speak to us. Help us to be completely open and honest and lay anything that's weighing heavy on our minds, any decisions that we have. To, to lay it at your feet and allow your word to speak over us so that we can not just hear your word, but put your word into practice in our lives. Help us to leave changed. Help us to leave transformed differently than when we came in, God. Use me in any way you see fit and make these words be all about you as you just Fill this place with your presence. We love you so much, and we pray in Jesus' name. Together as a church, we'll say amen. If you're at home, type amen. Does anybody not, does everybody agree? Let me me make sure I ask this question the right way. Who thinks making decisions can be stressful? Yeah. And some of us are just not great at it. Who are my indecisive people? Who are my people that kind of weigh every option until you find just the perfect one? See, that's its own kind of stress right there. Who are my people who just 
go with the flow and do whatever seems right. There's some of those people. It's, it can be stressful, right? especially when you're young. You know, in your teens, early 20s, you're kind of trying to decide, do I go to this school or that school? Do I go to public college? Do I go to private college? How am I going to pay for it? I mean, do I saddle myself with a bunch of student debt? Do I go work part-time and go to college part-time? Uh, wait a minute, maybe I just go to community college for a while and do it that way, or maybe, maybe I take a gap year and just do what I want. Gap years didn't exist when I was a kid, by the way. And it doesn't change when we get older. We have more decisions. Do I rent? Do I keep renting? Because everybody says, you know, everybody gives me this advice. Renting is just throwing your money away, throwing your money away. But buying a house, man, that's like a thing. That's like, you know, you're locked in. That's like 30 years is a long time, right? 30 years long. I might be dead by then. And if I'm dead, what do I do? I mean, how do I, how do I pay for a mortgage? And the interest rates are like 6% now. So I don't know if I want to buy. Do I buy a new car because my car is kind of starting to build up repair bills? Do I, do I buy this new car? Because that's a whole thing right now. You can't finance a car for five years, just like seven years or eight years, and that's a big payment. You're looking at four or $500 a month just for like a little hoopty kind of car. Or do I just stay in my old beater and suffer with the repairs? Because maybe that's a great way to build my faith every time I get in that car. I'm just like, God, I know you got me. Anybody? Yeah, I drove a couple of those cars. Like half the hands, half the hands in this place are, you know. Maybe the guy you're dating, you're like, my friends call him Mr. No Commitment. Yeah, I don't know. He's not the right guy. Maybe he is the right guy. Should I just cut my losses? Do I? Don't I? Some decisions are just so big, and some of them are very complicated. If somebody came to me, now, you guys know I, I am never at a shortage for words, right? I mean, anybody can agree with that. I can talk. Your boy can talk. In fact, you got to get me to shut up sometimes. But if you came to me, this is true. If you came to me and said, all right, you got 10 minutes, preach on anything you want. I would be like, that ain't happening I, because it's so complex. How, how many, could you imagine how many top, if I opened this, how many topics are in God's word to pick in 10 minutes and formulate something that makes sense and preach on, do I preach on grace? Do I preach on mercy? Do I preach on salvation? Do I preach on God in a bod? Do I preach on creation? Do I preach on Adam and Eve? Do I preach on original sin? Do I preach on revelation? I don't know. But if you came to me and said, all right, here's your topic. You got 10 minutes, go. I'd be all right. I could do it then. Because we make things very complex. We make things very stressful in our own brain when we're kind of, you know, trying to decide between one or the other, this thing or that thing. Decision anxiety. Decision anxiety is not a new problem. However, I do believe it's way more complex and a bigger problem now than it ever used to be. I mean, people were still buying houses. People were still going to college back in, you know, like 1950, 1960, 1970. All that same stuff has been happening. Do I get married? How do I find Mr. Wright? Those decisions have all been around for a long time, but it has just gotten so much more complicated and so much more complex in the 21st century. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but I want to talk about just two because I think these are kind of the top two. The first one is we have too many choices. We have too many choices. Think about, I don't have my phone, but in your hand, you have access to billions of pieces of information. Anybody ever, like, start feeling sick and log online 
within like a half an hour time, you've got like a brain tumor that's killing you or something like that. I mean, you know, this is what we've got too many choices. It's like this paradox of choices because as human beings, we love choice, right? Everybody like choice. Who likes choice? I like to be able to choose. I like to be able to make my own decisions. But then there's so much out there that we just get into this place where we can't decide. There's too much information. When I was a, a budding salesperson at Jordan Kids, Pat, Pat might remember this. But one of the things they taught you when you're selling, and by the way, you can take this home the next time you're buying some major thing, a car or an or a appliance or whatever. The salesmen are trained to not leave open-ended choices to their prospective uh, customers. So if somebody is looking at this $50,000 grand piano, my question to them might be, would you prefer to pay cash for this or to finance it? There's only two choices, right? And then you shut up and they got to pick one. And as soon as they pick one, you're like, I got you, right? We don't give a whole bunch of choices. It's the same concept if you're in business. You're trying to pin a client down for a meeting or something like that. You don't be like, oh, what day works for you? Check your calendar and let me know. Get back to me because they will never get back to you and they will never find a day. But if you say, I'm available Tuesday at 3 o'clock and Thursday at 9 a.m., which one works best for you? Guess what? You get your meeting. We have too many choices. You ask me to preach about anything, I'm stressing out. I can't do it, but you... Netflix, all right, y'all can relate to this, right? I'm going to watch a movie on Netflix now. 45 minutes later, you're still scrolling on the Netflix menu trying to figure out what thing you're going to watch. By that time, I'm tired, I'm half asleep, I don't want to watch an hour and a half movie now. Too many choices. Even the experts can't agree on how many choices there are. I read an article that said kids make 3,000 choices a day. Adults make 35,000 choices a day. And then I read another article that says, oh, we don't make that many choices. They can't even decide. We have too many choices. And that leads us to this place that I love to call analysis paralysis. We just are always thinking about these things. The second reason that it's so complicated is that we're afraid of making a costly mistake. And this is the one that I think gets all of us. And, And I hope for us who claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who follow him closely, that that part of that uh, anxiety, that stress, is the fear of missing out on God's will, right? But, but they have a term for this these days. Anybody know what it is? FOMO. FOMO, fear of missing out. The struggle is real. We all do this. We all do this. I got to find the one. I got to find the right one for me. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I've been looking and looking and looking and looking, and I just don't want Mr. Right now, but I want Mr. Right. Or, or I got to pursue my purpose. They told me in that sermon, you got to find your purpose. You got to pursue it. You got to do God's will. You got to live in God's will. But what if I miss the one? What if I can't figure out my purpose? What if I'm out of God's will? I'm not going to do anything. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure whether I go left or I go right. If I make this decision, I make this decision. Nothing seems good. Nothing seems right. Everything I look at, there's so much information out there. And so what we do is we hesitate and we freeze and we don't do anything. I literally asked a friend of mine one time, and I'm not sure. I can't remember why we were talking about decisions and all that kind of stuff. And I asked him, are you a little bit indecisive? (laughs) And he said to me, well, yes and no. True story. True story. But listen, indecision is a decision. 
If you allow the, 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 the number of choices out there, if you allow the fear of missing out to kind of regulate your decision-making process to the point where you choose not to decide anything, you have made a decision to do nothing. So many of our decisions are complicated. So today, I would like to uncomplicate. Anybody like uncomplicated? I love, I like simple. I love uncomplicated. And we're going to work our way into one simple thought. We're going to look at, uh, uh, we're going to build a foundation on a pretty powerful piece of scripture from Acts chapter 15. And then we're going to kind of narrow that down into one simple principle that kind of takes everything we've learned in this series and, and distills it into one thing we can all take home with us. Because our goal here is don't complicate it. Don't make your decision-making process more complex than it needs to be. And so in Acts chapter 15, we're only going to read a small part of this. I invite you to go home and read all of Acts chapter 15. Don't just take my word for what I say here. In Acts chapter 15, uh, we find the leaders of the church are dealing with some very complicated issues. So what's happening here is that the, the first Christians, the first followers of Jesus, were all Jewish people. And so Jewish people came from a system of rules and laws and dietary restrictions, and we got to be circumcised and all this kind of stuff. But then, especially after Paul came on the scene and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, they didn't know any of that stuff. And so there was this part of the church, the Jewish part of the church, said, oh, well, if they're going to come and follow Jesus Christ, then they basically have to become Orthodox Jews before they can, you know, follow Jesus Christ. They got to subscribe to all our laws, all our rules, all our stuff. And Paul's like, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. I don't think they have to eat a special diet. I don't think they have to be circumcised to claim Jesus as their Lord. Could you imagine if that was a requirement for church membership today? I mean, come on. We're standing up here in the baptismal, right? And I'm like, um, have you given up all pork? Anything with a cloven hoof? Have you had the snip? And then I baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That just wouldn't fly today. But this was the decisions they, were, they, were, they had to make as a church. Uh, and they were incredibly weighty decisions because they affected the salvation of many people. And so let's read this. And what I want us to do here is every time it says seemed good, I would like you guys to read that with me. Acts chapter 15, we're going to read verse 22, 25, and 28. And here's what it's written. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Verse 25. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Verse 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. That's where they actually got to the decision-making process. You can go home and read that. It seemed good to simplify things and to not create a barrier to salvation and belief. Now, if we want to, if we want to just stop right there, we could be like, well, the Bible says, just do what seems good. Just do what seems right. Just do what seems good. Maybe. I mean, that is what scripture says, right? 
I'm reading the same as you are. It says it right there three times. It seemed good. And we want to live by God's word. We want to do what God tells us. We want to, you know, be in his blessings. And, you know, we want to do. But what happens when scripture is not so clear about what to do? We could just say, I'm just going to do what seems right. I'm just going to do it. Feels good to me. Feels good. I like it. I'm going to do it. And you can't stop me. In fact, that's how I've lived most of my life. And I still do live that way every once in a while, and i got to kind of snap myself out of it. And if you're honest, that might be the way you're living too. I just do what seems good. Or we play act. We go to God with our weighty decisions. And we're like, all right, God, you just let me know. And then we get tired of waiting for God. And we go do what seems right anyway. We go do what we want to do. That seems great. It seems like a valid way to handle our decision-making process. Plus, it's in the book. It's in Scripture three times. It says it seemed good. They did what seemed good. But what about this? In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 said, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Uh Uh-oh. How can both be true? Because one thing we always have to remember is that Scripture can never contradict itself. How can both be true? Listen, if we hang around the wrong people, if we listen to the wrong voices or the wrong advice in our lives, if we live by the wrong values, then what seems good can often be the wrong choice. Uh, let me say that again for the people in the back and the people at home who were probably out drinking coffee and said, what, i got to hear this. If we hang around with the wrong people, if we listen to the wrong advice and the wrong voices, and if we live by the wrong values, then what seems good, especially to us, can often be the wrong choice. And we know this. This is not new to us. We all know what can happen when we allow ourselves to be affected by external resources. You ever gotten in the wrong crowd? You ever had peer pressure just bearing down on you like you couldn't believe it? When I was young, I had this really cool 10-speed bike. It was a Huffy Omni. It was all blue. Anybody remember the Huffy Omni? Had blue handlebars, had blue seat, had a blue frame, had blue tires. That was awesome. It was awesome. We used to ride that bike everywhere. I think they made it in other colors too, but blue was the coolest because it matched my blue suede shoes. I had blue suede shoes when I was young. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. But me and my friends used to ride our bikes all over the place, and I always thought I was the coolest one because I had the blue uh, uh, Huffy Omni. But they were much better bike riders than I was. You all know that I am not like pro jock. I am not athletic in any way. And so they would always do these cool things where, you know, when they ride without hands and they're all like riding like this and like they're driving down the road. And they would always try to convince. Now, I could ride without hands for a limited period of time as long as it was a straight line and there was nothing in front of me. I could do that. But they were always trying to convince me. 
where we lived in Rivera Beach, the way the community is, is like there's this top highest portion. And then as you go down towards Fort Smallwood Road out here or go down towards where the beach is and the water is, it's this succession of hills. So each block, there is a hill. And we used to sled down them. It was cool. It was great living there. But they would always be trying to convince me to start at the very top and ride down all the way to the water without any hands. And for a long time, I resisted, but that peer pressure just got me. There's voices in my head. You know, they're all up there like, chicken, bark, 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 bark. You know how kids do, right? And guess what old Chris did? He started at the top of that hill, took his hands off the wheel. Now, I did not know how to steer a bike without hands. And parked cars don't move. And so I'm heading for this parked car. And, you know, I could have just put my hands back on the wheel, but that would have just been too smart a thing to do. I hit that car. I flipped off the bike. The bike flipped over top of me. And you remember those metal pedals with the spikes on them? Everybody remember those? Yeah, well, they create a nice gash in your head when they come down. A couple stitches later. Um, this is what happens when we listen to the wrong people and the wrong voices and have the wrong values. We do this all the time. We allow people to influence our decisions. How could, how could Paul and James and Barnabas and the other church leaders be comfortable with making these weighty decisions about doctrine, about the church direction, about people's eternal destiny based on just what seemed right And that's what it says. It seemed good to them. And if we read it this way, if we pick out the parts that we love to read, because this is what we do with God's word, right? We read it and we stick to the parts that make sense to us. We stick to the parts that agree with our viewpoint. If we do that, we're doing ourselves a disservice because we blow right by what's actually going on here. I want to read this again with some emphasis on some different parts. Acts chapter 15, verse 22 says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit And to us, to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. See, there is a big difference. There is a big, huge difference between doing what seems right to a man, what seems good to a man. Proverbs says that road can often lead to death. There's a big difference between that and making your decisions in the midst of a group of faith-filled, devil-kicking, mountain-moving disciples of Jesus Christ who can come alongside you, who can help you, who can pray with you, and then include the Holy Spirit in your decision-making process to get to a point where you can be comfortable deciding what you need to decide we search his word together we seek his heart together we seek his voice together we seek his will together with the whole church this is what we learn from here this wasn't a one person or a two person or a three person decision just saying oh well let's flip a coin they get circumcised or they don't get circumcised i mean it doesn't matter to me i'm circumcised already it's their problem this was a process by which they invited all of God's people, or at least all of God's people who were around at the time, and the Holy Spirit. See, we can't forget this. 
We can't make our decisions without the presence of God. See, we don't go to church here. We are the church here. This is what we do here. We are here together. Together is better. It's not just a pretty thing we write out there. We want to be of one mind. We want to be of one heart. We want to be of one body, not just with people who you sit with on Sundays, people we do life with when you have a decision to make, when you have something waiting, weighing on you that is causing you this decision anxiety. That's why we have this group we call family so that we can bring it to people. We can pray together we can invite the holy spirit in we can share our experiences because i guarantee you that whatever you're trying to decide right now somebody has probably already been down that road they can show you the pros and the cons they can show you what's good and what's bad how to get from here to there how to do this this is why we are here and listen the 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 biggest source of our anxiety might be decisions but the reason we have so much anxiety over our decisions is because we're trying to do it and follow god and please him in a vacuum alone sheltered and last week we said as soon as we get into that space that's when the devil tries to pick us off he's good at singling us out and picking us off in that place we can't we're a family here this is what they were they were a group they might not have agreed on everything but as a group as a church body as followers of jesus christ as people who were relying on the holy spirit they came to do what seemed good to god and to them we can't leave that out we're here we can rely on each other we can seek each other's counsel we can share our experiences when we are in agreement when we are sharing in this fellowship when we are one in spirit communicating with the holy spirit following him what seems good in all of that becomes the easy thing to do Don't complicate it. Don't complicate it. We've learned so much in this series, and I'm getting ready to boil this all down for you, so hold tight. We've learned that if it is big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And and, and this, this passage, this verse that says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I love to summarize that in just seven simple words. Don't worry about it pray about it if it's big enough to worry about it's big enough to pray about we learned that anxiety is just a signal it's like that little light on your dashboard the check engine light comes on the light is not the problem there's something else going on under the hood and we 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 said in here for every week of this series that we subscribe to a holistic view of dealing with anxiety we know that some people may need to seek counseling and some people may need to seek medication and some people may need to seek lifestyle changes and all that is good that may be the way god wants to work in your life but there's also a spiritual aspect of anxiety that's what we've been dealing with for the last four weeks it's just a signal alerting us that it's time to go to god who is always near it's time to pray We learned that we don't always have the power to control, but we always have the power to surrender to him, to surrender to his leading, to surrender to his guidance. And last week, we learned that just because of who God is, powerful and majestic and mighty and sovereign, creator of all things and sustainer of all things, we can rejoice and we can change our perspective of fear and anxiety into a perspective of praise so how do we make those crazy decisions how do we make those decisions that seem life-altering and life-changing how do we make those decisions that cause us so much anxiety 
And it's this way. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God and we will do what seems good. Not me, not I, not individual, not in a vacuum. Us, as a church family, as a church body, we will seek God and we will do what seems right. And I know that there's people out there right now with GPS anxiety, right? You know what GPS anxiety is when you're driving down the road and your GPS is kind of like guiding you. And I'm always like, stop telling me what to do. Um, and she's got this attitude. I don't know. Somebody programmed that voice in there. And she's always like condescending to me or something like that. But GPS says, make the next right turn. And you look to the right and there's a road right there. But then you look up there and there's a road right there. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Is it this one or is it that one? Do I turn right now? Because I can still get over three lanes in traffic. I can still get over there and make that right turn, GPS lady. I mean, stop picking on me. Or do I go to the next one? Do I cut over a little bit less quickly? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And especially at night because I can't read the road signs anyway. So I'm like, what? you know, GPS anxiety. We get that. In our lives, we get that. What if I take the wrong turn with this decision? What if I mess up? What if I make a mistake? What if I miss out? You know, one of the biggest things I hear from people when I'm talking to them about a relationship with Jesus, people who don't know Jesus, it it never fails. I'll be talking about Jesus and they'll say something like, yeah, but if I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, that I'm going to have to give up some stuff, right? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's what surrender means. That's what repentance means. It means changing your mind, turning in a different direction. That is probably the number one objection I ever get. Oh, I have to give this up. And I really like that. I have to give this up. And I really like that. What do we do? What if we do make the wrong decision? What if we do miss out on something? What did Paul do when his life took a wrong turn? When when the way he planned it, when the way he had decided he was going to go didn't turn out to be the way. He didn't say, oh, this is the end. I'm doomed. I'm going to lay here in prison. And everybody, I'm not going to write any of the New Testament now. So you guys are all on your own. You're left with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and another book that Luke wrote. And that's it. No. He said, I want you to know that what has happened to me this wrong turn, this bump in my road, this this thing that wasn't in line with the decisions I had, this thing that didn't seem good to me or did seem good to somebody else has served to advance the gospel. He was reaching more people for Jesus Christ, and he was so, so in that zone, so in that space that he later wrote this. Romans 8.38 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And who have been called according to his purpose. God is always working. And when it says those, that just doesn't mean one single person. That means when God works for our good, we can then work for the good of others. We can work for the good of others making decisions. We can work for the good of others who are suffering from this decision anxiety or other kinds of anxiety. We can come together and we can work in their lives just as God has worked in our lives. One wrong turn. One wrong turn will not keep you from your desired destination. God's already got that planned out. It may be a different path. You may have to go around. You may have to recalculate, right? You may miss that right turn. You may take the wrong turn. But God has a way of bringing good things out of wrong turns. And listen, I am living proof of that. 
Maybe you shouldn't have dated him or her. I mean, after all, their middle name was Satan. Maybe that should have been a clue. Right off the top. Maybe you shouldn't have. But maybe that's God working in your life so that you will learn how to appreciate the right godly man or woman who comes along. Maybe you shouldn't have trusted that person who for years and years just took advantage of your kindness, stepped over your back and climbed over you every chance they get, and then, then, then talked bad about you behind your back to somebody else. I know I'm hitting home here. Maybe you shouldn't have trusted that person, but maybe that's God growing your ability to forgive. You remember when we ask God for something like forgiveness and patience, it's not like God snaps his fingers and gives you the ability to forgive and patience. <laughs> He's a funny God sometimes. He puts us in those situations where we can learn how to forgive or how to be patient. And maybe you are just regretting your past, your younger years. I do. I've, I've been there. And you're like, I shouldn't have been so stupid. God could never love me. The things I've done. And the things I still continue to do, I just shouldn't be so dumb, man. I make the dumbest decisions. I do the dumbest things. I don't know why I do that. I don't want to do that. Maybe. But maybe that's God helping you to understand the level and depth of his grace. That never ends. That says, I don't care where you are. I sent my son to die for everyone. Regardless of the decisions you made in your past, regardless of the decisions you made in the 15 minutes before you came into this place today. And look, my life was full of wrong turns. Man, I don't know how God ever chose me to do what I'm doing now. I really don't. I, I wonder that all the time. He's just a great God. He's an amazingly wonderful, merciful, gracious God. Amen? I, I, I had the wrong friends. I had the wrong people. I had the wrong entertainment. And I'm not just talking about the... the questionable television that I talk about and joke about all the time. I mean, that stuff's very tame compared to the stuff that I used to fill my brain with. Wrong people, wrong girls, wrong relationships, wrong motives, wrong substances, always in the wrong place at the wrong time, only because I chose to be there. And you know what? At the time, it all seemed good to me. It all seemed good. It was the wrong thing, but it all seemed good. And maybe you're in that space right now, and you're just kind of battling with some decisions. Maybe you're even battling with the decision on whether you should have Jesus be your Lord and Savior or not. I don't know. Don't complicate it. Don't complicate it. It's like this. It's easy. With a posture of prayer and a perspective of praise, we will seek God, and we will do what seems right. We bring the Holy Spirit in. We bring our church family in. We bring our trusted companions in. We bounce ideas off each other. We talk about it. We pray about it. And most of all, we lean on God's Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And then we do what seems good. Then we do what seems good. Anxiety is such a complex issue. But if we can, and I hope, uh, you know, this, this series has just really hit home for me, and I know it's hit home for a lot of people because I've heard, you know, what you guys have talked to me and, and, and said to me. If we can put all this, just, just this little bit, just these three verses in play in our lives, 
then we can get to this point where Paul was. We can get to this point where every day we can say, I will rejoice in the Lord always. I will rejoice again in the Lord always. I will let my gentleness be evident to all because God is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and his peace, God's peace, not peace from the world, not peace from a new car or a new house or a new boyfriend or a new relationship. God's peace cannot be taken away, cannot be diminished, cannot be beaten by the devil. God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Funny thing, funny thing, when I was making all those wrong turns, God would occasionally put the right person in front of me at some point in time. And even in the midst of me making stupid, terrible, awful decisions, even in the midst of me saying, I'm just going to do what seems good to me, he would always bring these people in, and these people would just show me a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Jesus. I was one of those people that finally I was like, okay, God, you win. I give up. I give up. After all those years of running away from you, you win. And if you, if you have come in here today and, and you haven't been introduced to the power of a saving relationship with Jesus, I would advise you not to wait. Look, life is hard. Anxiety is real. It's a bigger problem now than it ever has been. So much stuff going on, so many decisions, so many situations, so much chaos, so much noise in this world. And look, I won't say that all that stuff's going to go away if you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, because that's not what it's about. We don't come to Jesus so that we can have a better, easier, cushier life full of cars and money and, and, and prosperity and things like that. We come to Jesus because we are separated from him. We are separated from God, and we ask Jesus to be our Lord and Savior so that we can have God in our corner again so that we can be part of God's family so that when the anxiety comes he is near when the trouble comes he is near when the worry comes he is near when we have these decisions to make his Holy Spirit helps us and acts in us and works in all things to teach us what is right this is why this is why we ask Jesus to take over our lives yes yes because we want to be in that relationship with God and we can't do that because we're all, all sinners. And we're separated from him because of that. And so today I'm going to ask you, if you have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we're going to close out with a prayer. You can pray it in your own head. You can say it out loud. You can just cry out Jesus and, and he'll know what you mean. And we'll pray together. And we'll pray this way with all heads bowed. Jesus, I believe you are the Lord and Savior of the world. Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross to pay the price for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you were raised from the dead, defeating death. And Jesus, I believe your sacrifice reunites me with God the Father. And I surrender.
turn from my old life and I turn towards you. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, for anybody who has come to that place of decision today, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. It's only you. It's your word. It's your grace. It's your Holy Spirit that pulls people towards you. I'm just a tool that you use to speak through. And so we thank you. And Father, for us who are just, you know, doing the Christian thing and still suffering from all of these types of anxiety that just surround us every day. Help us to put your word into practice. Help us to understand that you are always near and that we need to come to you in prayer when we feel those, those, those signs of anxiety creeping in. Help us to understand that we can rejoice because of who you are, not because you have delivered us from a storm, but because of who you are. Help us to work together as a church family in the big decisions, in the small decisions, and most of all, help us to just feast on the Holy Spirit that lives inside of each one of us and seek your will through the Holy Spirit, God, so that we can do what seems good, not to us, but to you. We love you so much. And finally, we ask that you keep everybody healthy and safe until we meet again. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our eternal source of light and life and peace.